Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. I'm the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and I am the executive director of the International and Disciple-Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. For the last 30 years, we've had ministry expressions in over 70 countries. You can learn more about the effective manner in which we're raising up national evangelists, disciple-makers, and church planters by going to traincpe.org. I hope you will. Your prayers and your gifts are used of God to sustain this work. Now for today's lesson from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19-22. through 22. The story is of a curse that's on the city of Jericho and on its water, and Elisha performs a miracle that heals the water and lifts the curse from off it. He does so by casting salt into the polluted spring. Salt stood for something practical and profound in those days. Salt purified. It preserved And it also was a rare expression of friendship. And this is what comes to us when the curse is removed. In every place, in every point, there is a curse upon us. And there is a curse because of us upon the earth. There's that original curse that came because of Adam and his sin. Because Adam's sin, he brought to us the curse of death. He brought upon the earth a curse of difficulty and labor in its fruitfulness. We don't, as you notice, we don't live in a garden anymore. We grow things with great effort and we reap among thorns. Uh, We live in a world also of broken relationships because that was a part of the curse as well. Adam and Eve, because of their sin, began to strive with one another for positions of influence and authority. And that striving became contagious and it infected their sons, Cain and Abel, and it It continues to infect us to this day. Actually, take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 3. And let me read to you verses 16 through 19. We have a picture of this curse. Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Eve has sinned. Adam has sinned. God speaks both to the man and the woman. First to the woman, he said in verse 16... I will multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you'll bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. There's a sense of that contention that will develop in this most central relationship in human society. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face, and you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The earth is cursed. Our life ends in death. We're surrounded by the influence of death. Our relationships are cursed. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And yes, we live in a beautiful world, but it's a world that's under the curse nonetheless. There is beyond this curse that was placed upon Adam, there is the updating of that curse that's passed from one family to the next, something that's a little more familiar to us, the curse that comes from our closest kin. It comes from the cultures that we live in that develop their own unique species of the curse and expression of the curse. It's found in the histories that we have from whatever societies we grow up and you can see through it all great and wonderful things, but you can still see a unique strain of the curse that comes down to us. Sin and the consequences of sin and its sorrows and its curses 
are regularly being updated and plowed in, if you will, back into the soil of our lives. We have passed on to us the sins of our fathers and mothers and we'll unfortunately pass on our sins to our children. Take your Bibles again and go to Exodus chapter 20. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20 and it speaks more of this updated expression of the curse that takes place as the law or the Ten Commandments are given. Exodus chapter 20 and let's read together verses 4 through 6. The first commandment is that you'd have no other gods before you than God himself. The second commandment is that you're not to make any carved image of him or to worship any idols. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You're not to give yourself to idolatry. You're not to put your significance and meaning in those things that are outside of God alone. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Well, you could say, well, there's something encouraging here. That there's some lessening of the hold of the curse of the sin, that it only goes for three or four generations, and then that effective sin begins to tail off from that sin that took place generations before, and we don't necessarily experience or continue experiencing the impact of a sin that took place three and four generations before us, but the problem is that each generation renews itself in sin. It establishes and reestablishes a rolling tide of the curse that seems to move down through their progeny and we get bowled over by it. We experience it. Some of us have done a pretty good job of laying out the land a little better than others. We've done a good job of placing ourselves in optimum situations. And we look out from our lives and we think, this is pleasant. It's rather pleasant, the arrangement that I've made for my life. But wait long enough and you discover that the water, the spiritual water of our lives is fouled up. It's alkaline and sulfuric and what should refresh us poisons and sours our lives once we drink it. The sins of our fathers and mothers come back to beggar and impoverish our lives. We work hard and we use our best efforts to push back as much as we can the influence of the curse and it seems to be working but we discover it's only temporary. Once our energies begin to flag, once our attentiveness begins to flag, the the influence of the curse begins to permeate once again all around us and grow in our lives. History is a record of the struggle to sustain ourselves in the midst of this curse. Some of you may feel that this is uniquely your lot. You may look back through the failures in your own life and think that they can be traced back to the direct failures that were found in your father or your mother or a family member or a neighbor or a community that you grew up in and the direct influences are on your life and you see that it's just carried forward in your life no matter how you tried to avoid it. It's somehow got a hold of you and you feel trapped in the situation. You try to rise above it and make the best of your life but still... The water is brackish and foul. That's what it was like in Jericho. Jericho had a curse on it. Just like men today. Let's look at more of the story about Jericho. Something called hope became alive in Jericho. The people realized that the waters are not going to clear up on their own without a miracle. But again, if Elisha could part those waters of the Jordan, maybe they thought he could heal the waters of Jericho. And so... They go to him and they make known their situation. And it, and it is in the first step in being able to find relief 
is that they recognize and declare the problem they have and the curse that they're under, and they declare it, and they seek a remedy for it, and they go out beyond themselves because they know the remedy is not in themselves. They know it's in a man of God, and a man who has done things through the power of God, so they go to Elisha, and they seek Elisha in order that he might somehow help them. Uh, Elisha had parted the waters of the Jordan by taking this mantle that had been given to him. And this mantle is an expression of the prophetic office that came to him. It's symbolic. And he took that mantle, this symbolic expression, and he struck the waters of the Jordan with it, and the waters parted. Now Elisha comes to these people who have said that we have this cursed water and it needs to be healed. And Elisha gives them some instruction. And the instruction he gives them also is instruction that has symbolic reality to it. Instead of the mantle that he's going to go and strike these waters with, he tells them to get a new bowl, and in that new bowl, to put salt in it. After they gather the salt in it, he will go and take care of the waters with the salt that they put in it. And so they don't know exactly what the meaning is, but they know that there's some symbolic expression in this. They know it's expression of some underlying truth, and so they go and get a new bowl, and then they go around to all the families that are in Jericho, and the families bring out a measure of salt to put in that bowl. Now, now listen. In that day, salt was a treasured possession. It was a very valued possession. The people used that salt in a number of different ways. Salt had a power to, to purify things. Salt was like a, a disinfectant, and so when a new baby was born, they would rub that baby all over with salt to disinfect it. They used that salt to cure the meat and, and to kill the bacteria in the meat. They even had developed ways to use salt to, to some extent, purify that brackish water so that they could drink it. Salt was a form of purification. It also was a means of preservation. Like we said, they would cure their meat and salt in order to preserve it and give it length and so they could eat it. And so they understood that salt was very valuable, it was needed because it purified things and it preserved things, but also salt was a savor that they enjoyed. And their salt, by the way, was better than the salt we have. Their salt had flavor and it was distinct and it was wonderful and they might have a special form of salt that had been brought in from some other locality and they would take it and they would put it on their food and... It would savor their food as they ate it. And it became so meaningful and so precious that when a person came and they ate together and they fellowshiped together and they developed a deep friendship with one another and a relationship with one another, the way they described it was that they shared salt with one another. In the Middle East, they still say that. We share salt with one another. It means we commune with one another and we eat together and we have a relationship with one another. And God, in a sense, brought all these things together to give expression to the reality of the relationship that he wanted to have with man. And so God actually declares, for example, when he made a promise to David, that David would one day, through him, would raise up a line in which there would be a king to rule over all the earth. God says that he has made a covenant of salt with David. It's an expression of this friendship and relationship in which it had injected into the relationship is a purifying and preserving influence and a savoring influence. So when the people gathered the salt and put it all together, they, they had somewhat of an understanding of what it meant and its importance and its value. And so the salt is put into a bowl. It's brought to Elisha. Elisha takes the bowl and he throws the content of the salt into the poison spring that flows in Jericho. And he proclaims a word that tells them that this has nothing to do with him, nothing to do with his power. He has no powers in himself. He says this is something that God does entirely. The Lord that they've sinned against 
The Lord who is the absolute God over all creation now is coming to heal and restore them from the curse that they're under because of their sins. Thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh, I have healed this water and from it there shall no more be death and barrenness. I'm restoring fruitfulness in this place. And Jericho becomes this living, fruitful, dynamic city that will expand and grow from this time forward. What do we say to this? Well, there was for Jericho a cure for their curse. And there is for us a cure for our curse. There's a cure for it. Actually, God was beginning to teach this idea that there was a cure for the curse when he he gave the various sacrifices to the people of Israel. When the temple was developed and there was a command for sacrifices to be brought, whether it was grain offerings or whether it was a lamb or an oxen that was to be brought before the Lord and all the various sacrifices, one of the things you need to know is that all of them had to be brought and be attended with salt. Every sacrifice was made with salt accompanying it. The sacrifice itself revealed that there had to be a penalty paid for people's sins. That God, a just God, required a penalty and a punishment be made on the behalf of our sins. And God was demonstrating that he would provide in the place of the people a punishment for them if he'd come to them. But the salt revealed what God would accomplish through that punishment, what God would accomplish through that sacrifice. Through that sacrifice, God would provide purification. Through that sacrifice, God would repeal death and provide preservation. Through that sacrifice, God would open up a way for there to be fellowship and reconciliation relationship with himself. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about our ministry, go to traincpe.org or thebreadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.